welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 133, if you're keeping count. I started keeping count at episode 100. Um, I guess that's a lie. We've been counting, but now we're just officially counting. But anyway, episode 133, and I'm with Fredo and Dave, as always. How you doing, guys? Doing well. Doing okay. Doing okay. How are you? By the way, just a little production thing. You're starting. You sound like a tin can again, Fredo. Because I think I think what it is is that you just kind of get laid back, and just get kind of chill. So. Uh, ah, so get, like, so like I have to like be all serious and professional about just, this. Just get your radio, get your radio voice on. You know. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let you lie about that. You know, whether it's on the 20s and 40s, kids, and uh, you know, stay tuned for the big reveal. And the big uh, prize giveaway. We're giving away two tickets to go see. Wait, who should we go see? What's the What's the weather like outside, Ollie? Space weather. Space. <laughs> it's running sideways. So uh, I said we might have a bit right before I hit record. Um, I said we might have. Uh, we're gonna have to do some quick research here. But here's Saints rumors. Um, yeah, apparently we're uh, working out uh, OBJ. So now let all the LSU fans' heads explode all at once. My thing is this. OJ, I mean, wide receiver, weirdly enough, has not been the issue so far. No. These four games. It's been more O-line play and it's been more quarterback play. And, you know, know, getting OBJ is good. Don't get me wrong, but we have Michael Thomas. We have Chris Olave, who's looked the part. Michael Thomas has been out. Landry. Michael Thomas was out again today, so he's still not practicing. He's got oh. something going on with his toe, and Jarvis Landry's kind of gimpy. And then, I don't know, Chris Olave came down hard. Um, but anyway, so, no, I just heard that as I was walking into my room here to record. Brittany was like, what? And I was like, what? What <laughs> so, what did I do? I don't think I did anything. I'm sure she loves, I'm sure she loves that, that uh, uh, impression of her. That was not an impression. That was just my rendition um so anyway uh yeah so I, tonight we're going to be uh talking about episodes four and five of andor and i think once again we're not going to be like talking you know plot synopsis of each one of them there's there's stuff that's in my in my head about this this uh series so far i i, I guys i'm i'm digging this i'm like mm-hmm. when it gets this is one of the first one of the first uh, um, Star Wars Disney Plus things that when it gets done, I have an audible, oh, you know, I, I just want it to keep going. So, and I don't know what that is because it don't move very fast. I don't, I'm trying to figure out what it is that's engaging me, but it's, it's like when it gets done, I'm like, uh, oh. and it's, you know, I have to wait another week. So... You know, a good question that we might want to ponder as we get into this is um, uh, we, we've we talked about this show being maybe the most adult Star Wars that we've gotten to, to date. And uh, a question might be, what makes it? So there are a couple of really obvious answers to that question, but there might be some answers yeah. that are a little less obvious well i yeah i, I got like i said i got some thoughts on that too uh but before we dive into all that seriousness let's uh let's do a little round of trivia here and um uh, 
Dicka, 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 dicka. Let's see here. Oh, um, let's start with Fredo tonight. And I gotta hold the cards far enough back so I can see them. Um, who gives Han the order? From now on, you do as I tell you. I believe that would be his future better half, Princess Leia. That was Princess Leia. Was Princess Leia. And that's good rules to live by anyway. So, all right. Dave, to you. Um, who carries Anakin's flag before the pod race? And I dare said podcast, but it's pod race. <laughs> Pretty sure that was uh, C-3PO. Was C-3PO. Mm. Uh, real quick, as just a little aside. What do you guys think of getting C-3PO like as like a skeleton in the Phantom Menace? I mean, just I and I, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because J.J. Abrams, you know, made his arm red in The Force Awakens because he wanted people to know that this is a different era of C-3PO, but that only lasted until the end of the movie. Um, I'm sure George Lucas kind of did the same thing because we're getting C-3PO's origin stories. But do you think I don't know? Did it just this total aside? It's just did it detract from you, or do you care, or whatever? I think honestly for me it was more distracting that he was there at all. I mean, put it this way, I never in my wildest dreams thought, gee, I wonder where C three PO came from. So to get that as an answer and to get the idea that he was connected to the future Darth Vader kinda threw me for a loop. And then so the idea of he was just in you know, in bits and pieces, not quite put together, kinda because he's a side project of a very talented ten year old. I kind of went with it, but I was also like, you only get like a little bit of him in that movie. So he feels almost like he got thrown in because we have to have C-3PO in this movie because we have R2. So I don't know. It's not my favorite of his, uh, of his presence, of his appearances in the saga. I agree. I think that was the general consensus at the time, too, which is just like, wait, why Darth Vader's droid? You know, like what? Um, the design was was fine, and I also really like the idea that we got to see R two D two and C three PO meet for the first time. Yeah. I thought that that was a smart decision, giving fans that. But uh, and, yeah, I would have been I would have been good if uh, R two and three PO just were there in the Naboo court. You know, it's just as doing their thing so they're always the greek chorus but anyway um i digress um i did find it goofy that like i said the skeleton was marching out with all the aliens you know carrying the flag uh, for the pod race but anyway um for me which star destroyer oh crap which star destroyer this is gonna kill me which star destroyer locates the falcon during darth vader's meeting with the bounty hunters we've had this one before mm-hmm We've had this one before. Is it the Avenger? Yes! <laughs> Cue the Avengers theme. Yes, it's the Avenger. I'll see if I can put that in. <laughs> Only less than 30 seconds. We don't want to get hit with anything copyrighted. Yeah, exactly. um, so, yeah, okay, well. Um, and it's been a slow news week in Star Wars land. As a matter of fact, we have, like, zero uh, news. Um so uh, we're just going to start diving right into Andor. Um, 
I so episodes four and five. Um, uh, it's there. Yeah, I don't, it's so weird to talk about this because you can't. Like I said, you can't say this is what happened in episode four. This is what happened in episode five. This is like seriously one just big movie. So whichever one of us thought it was going to be episodic. Um, it, I think it was all of us. It, I, it's not that way right now. It's just like they're, I mean, we're picking up where we left off. Um, well, one of the things that I, you know, kind of reading back reviews of, of the episodes later on after I'd seen them, uh, that they made a point to emphasize is that Tony Gilroy and his brother Dan, who I believe is the screenwriter of credit for episodes four and five, they're thinking of this series in increments of three episodes. So, you know, set up, uh, build up, payoff. So episodes one was the setup. Episode two was the uh, build up. Episode three, the big action mo- was the payoff. Yeah, Same thing now. Makes sense for where we're, we're going right now. Yeah. Which is what we're getting. We got the setup in episode four, establishing the idea of what um, Luthen wants Cassian to do kind of establishing some of the other stuff around it so this one last week was the this week was the build-up next week will be the big actions payoff so we can say that what we left off in episode three was that he and uh um scarsgard got in the ship and took off um and um cassian is now um part of a small rebel band um what about five five of them and their their whole deal is that they're going to swipe the um like money from the empire you know it's the payroll payroll for an entire garrison um so whatever that might be um but um i mean it's a lot of uh, please excuse the the connections i'm drawing here but the only thing i keep thinking of is like all that b-roll footage that you see of al-qaeda training in the desert you know that's what that's what it kind of seems like you have these you know these people they're just training for this one mission um and it's it's very tense nobody seems to well nobody likes cassian nobody trusts cassian cassian doesn't like anybody and doesn't trust anybody as a matter of fact, he thinks that they're all over their heads. And um, so there's, I mean, so it's it's been very, very, like I said, just intense. And this is one of the things I know I said to Brittany after we turned off to episode five yesterday. I said, there is no, and I mean zero, comedic relief so far in this series at, I mean, there's none. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. It's just, it's just, and even, I mean, even the, the sky in Scotland is gray. I mean, there's everything. It's just, it's just gray. And I mean, and I, I'm, that's by design, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, we're, we're setting up to, bust into an imperial facility steal some money um and so yeah there's let's just go from there what what do you what are you guys thinking so far um one of the biggest uh my one of my biggest takeaways from this so far um and i I brought this up tonight with kate was that it just feels very authentic as far as military 
strategy goes. Um, I know that um, there's a lot of waiting and planning in military strategy. Wait, plan, wait, plan, wait, plan. Um, and they're showing us that. And, and I think like it's it's a great opportunity to sort of establish these characters and we learn more about who some of these people are and what their backgrounds might be. Um, but it's also a clever way to slow build and build up the tension and, and slowly escalate things. And, and can I say, uh, I'm going to start with this most recent episode because this one was my favorite. I mean, uh, and I'm not saying that it's because it's the most recent, it has been my favorite because one of the lines, um, she said, what was it? She said, everybody has their own rebellion. I think that that's a, maybe a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. And throughout, and it's like we keep going back to, um, is it Cyril? The, the, Cyril. Mm-hmm. the, the dude that was kind of fired from Kmart security or whatever. Um, we keep going back to him. We keep cutting to the ISB officer, you know, Deidre. Deidre. We keep, uh, there's also an Imperial officer who's part of this little rebel band. Um, and then you got the five people who are with Cassian and everybody has their, so I'm, I'm wondering if and this, you're, if this, you're leaving people out too, cause oh. you've got Luthan too. Yes. And Mon yes. Mothma. Um, and yeah, but we're it's following like, all of these different character arcs, and nobody has a common reason as to why they hate the empire, or and I and I wonder, I'm wondering if the people who seem to be empire sympathizers, like Deidre, like Cyril, if if this is going to be a story about, you know, oppression or just you know, raging against the machine, if you will, I don't know. It seems like ever because that one line, everybody's got their own little rebellion, and maybe well, it, I guess I'm I'm just kind of speaking freely, but maybe it's not a rebellion against the empire. Maybe somebody's rebelling against I I, I don't know. It's there were some interesting lines dropped in this last episode that I loved. Well, uh, McClunky, you I won't do what you tell me, Aaron. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, uh, because I do. I mean, to kind of piggyback of something you said to start off with. The sense that you get in all the settings, whether it's in Scotland or in the, is it Anderil or what Anderil, uh, the planet where they're all supposed to be stealing, or Coruscant or wherever we're at, it's one of oppression. The the sets, the atmosphere, everywhere you and go. And then bring in the Tie Fighters. The Tie Fighters yeah. make you like raise your pulse a little bit. Sorry, mm-hmm. keep going. No, but yeah, but whether it's Deidre and the ISB agents, they, their offices and their places are very much, it's almost like it's on top of them. There's no escaping it. Cyril stuck at that tiny, uh, I'm guessing it's Coruscant uh, yeah. apartment with his mom. Very tiny uh, room, very tiny uh, dining table where you, you know, there's nowhere to go. He, he seems like he's in a kitty table. And then, of course, the, uh, the band that's uh, with uh, Andor, yeah, they're all. It all feels oppressive. It's almost like the the weight of the empire is on top of everybody, no matter what setting, no matter what caste or what uh, rung on the societal ladder they're in. 
it's like the empire's omnipresent even and, when you don't see it in front of you and think about how timely this is they could not have planned this they could not have planned this but given where where we are right now in our own history where you have um you know thousands of iranian women you know protesting um an oppressive regime you have you know um people here in this country ready to vote in november because of what either they want to oppress or stop being oppressed you know um there's uh, you know ukraine there's all these things so the storyline right now about and again it says what well, the other line was uh, well the title of the episode was the axe forgets said you know the axe doesn't remember the trees that it chops down but the trees remember the axe mm -hmm. and i mean and so so it is and so i think this is going to be a really cool story about how and again everybody has their own rebellion and how does that then coalesce into one alliance that can you know bring down you know the death star and bring down the empire you know in a matter of 11 years you know so like I said, I think, I, like I said, just given what's going on in our own, you know, history mm -hmm. right now, it's so very uh, appropriate. And I think that's one of the elements where the character of Deidre is really helping because she's seen the pieces kind of coming together. And it's interesting that in this last episode, because she's fighting against other Imperial officers who are like, why are you worrying on my sector? Why are you trying to, you know intrude upon my area that's not how we do stuff and she's letting stuff kind of fall through the wayside like her reports and whatnot because she's kind of catching a glimpse of the bigger picture she's seeing hey this piece of text stolen here hey these people you know that uh ran away over here hey they stole this so all of it's like it's disjointed and i think they even said in this episode it's too random to be random which kind of tells you that she's seen the bigger picture of the rebel alliance coming together a lot of times that's how it starts it's it doesn't start with one grand unified plan it starts off with a little bit of rebellion here a little bit of uh, rebellion there a little bit of a small act here a small act there and there the pebbles that turn into an avalanche and i think that's part of what the story's trying to tell you is she's the only one who's seen her right now whereas even the people that are within it like whether it's mon mothma or luthan or Cassian, they're only seeing their own individual rebellion for the moment. Um, so one of the uh, characters in this uh, band of rebels um, is uh, Karis Nemec, which is like the younger guy, right? The mm -hmm. idealist who has the manifesto. Um, and unsurprisingly, he, he, he tends to have some of the best dialogue in this most recent episode. Um, because again, he's sitting here with his notebook writing everything down and putting his thoughts to page and um he had the he had one quote which was really good about the um the the attack from underneath is always more surprising than the one that comes from above um and i i kind of liked that a lot because again it it speaks to the nature of where they are right now i mean there's this ragtag group um completely off the grid and by necessity uh they have no real funding no real um assets 
not a lot of planning. I mean, they're, they're putting a lot of planning into this, but again, you see the holes in their plan. Um, and that gets revealed and, and that's a nice moment for Cassian in here where he's like, well, no, this is, you didn't think this through, did you? And, um, losing some faith in the operation, but I like his character, this, uh, charismatic character a lot. And I think a lot of people gravitated towards him. Um, because he has a way of sort of cutting to, again, as a as a device within this story, as a way of cutting towards things that we're seeing in our real world, in our real lives. Um, um, it's just speaking to the oppression and, and, and a lot of the bullcrap that, that we see amongst, um, amongst our, our, our leaders, our quote-unquote leaders in the world right now. And... Um, He's, a, he's an interesting polarizing kind of guy because I think like some people have looked at him as being this extremist, dangerous guy. And that may that could that could very well unfold that way. He could he could end up being a wild card of some kind. Um but again, he's sort of the most seductive character so far in in, in the ideas that, that he um spouts. Just right quick, just to jump off of that, we've already seen characters who are idealistic taken to the extreme within the rebellion. Saul Guerrero, who is so idealistic, there is no bending in him towards either the realities on what's going on or to the idea that people can change. He just sees there's only one way to fight this war, and if you're not willing to do this, you're you're in my way. So. It's, it's an interesting way of depicting the dynamics of what's going to become the Rebel Alliance as it comes together, because we're recognizing that it isn't, uh, it's not it's, it's not like it was just a whole bunch of just kids coming together and thinking, oh, it's all going to work out all right. It's, it's desperate people. It's a, for different reasons. They're not all meshing. There's still not a lot of trust because they, they're basically giving of themselves entirely kind of like Luthen tells uh, Cassian, it's like, rather than give yourself piece by piece, give all of yourself into one big thing. And uh, that's gonna, that's challenging a lot of them because they're looking to see, well, how far are you willing to go? And how far are you willing to go? And they're finding that not everybody's as willing to go as far. And where those lines get drawn is where conflict will arise. So uh, at the, towards the beginning of, well, about, yeah, in episode four, um, Luthen goes back to Coruscant and he he puts on his wig and he goes into his antiquity shop and it like and it's awesome I love yes that. the Scarsgard has done a great job I mean everything I've seen him in has been exactly the way he was at the beginning of Andor and now he's do he does a totally different character as in his storefront um, by the way I do want to give a shout out to um, it, well just give you all a little bit of a something to go watch on YouTube. There's a uh, star Wars explained. No. Yes. Yeah, star Wars explained. Uh, yes. Yeah, star Wars explained. Um, they did a Easter egg hunt in his shop. And um, like so many of the legends um, and video game stuff, like there are so many Easter eggs in there and they, it's so it's a great little video to watch. Um, but we, we see his connection with Mon Mothma. Uh, Mon Mothma comes into the shop and you see they're, they're working, you know, it, it's 
very much like a like a mob or speakeasy type of a thing you know it's it's his legitimate business front you know um but um they're trying to get something going the thing i'm stuck on though is i want to know why luthan specifically picked cassian because that's what he's struggling with at the end of episode five why why was he the the ace in the hole that it, why, why does he think that Cassian is the ace in the hole? Have I missed something yeah, in the episode so far, or do we, is that something we don't know yet? No, I don't think we know it yet. It's interesting because in a way, maybe his character doesn't know it quite yet, uh, but he's sensing something about Cassian and about let's potential. And I'm sorry, and let's, let's, know. let's remind everybody that in five years we're Cassian's going to go from a wild card to what about third in command i mean as he's in the upper 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 so we're we're in five years we're going to climb that ladder quick go ahead fredo sorry no 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 and i think and i think that points out to a uh one of the interesting questions that the show's kind of presenting because it's interesting that luthan who is the money launderer for the rebel alliance like it's mon mothma's the one who gets the money the who builds the connections because armies need money our uh, armies need funding <laughs> we're seeing a real life example halfway around the globe right now as to if you have the means to attack and hurt your enemy you can win if you don't you lose and so luthan's the guy who's going in between the world of the money power people to the recruitment aspect and he's the one who understands hey you got to get somebody who's able to do this role and that role and give them the resources. This is all very and, much like clear and present danger. Just so you know, much so. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There is there is something to Luthen's character that's similar in nature to some of the CIA roles, uh, to the Clark character that yeah. Willem Dafoe plays. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because he's cognizant. He does not even, maybe not cognizant of what he sees in Cassian, but he clearly picks something out out of him that he feels it's going to be a benefit to the Rebel Alliance. He just don't know it why quite yet and that that struggle because he's doubting himself that's where it gets interesting for him because he trusts him enough to give him a, a piece of sky kyber and i love that they brought that in but then uh he's also not sure enough that he's late at night checking on the radio signals to see if uh maybe he gets a a message from his uh team leader to find out whether or not things are going well so yeah he's checking he's his phone sure. for text messages yeah I think it's a really natural response that he would have that he, I, and I'm not still not sure I did the right thing. I'm still not sure I'm trusting the right person with this. And, um, and this is the thing that I, I came away from the first three episodes uh, thinking, which is that these people have very realistic and natural responses to the things that occur to them. Uh, it's like, um, we were talking about Cyril, like, yeah, he's, his tail's between his legs, and can we, his pride is hurt, and he's can we can receiving. we see can we talk about him? Keep I'm gonna ha I'm gonna yeah. let you keep going on that because and you had somebody added it to our notes, but um, again, Brittany and I had that conversation as we were watching because we keep cutting back to him, mm -hmm. and I said I'm still trying to figure out why I should give my monkey. You know what's really interesting I mean, he... about that, okay? And, and this is to add a little fuel to that fire. I looked at the IMDb page for the series. He's listed as being in five episodes. 
So, like, his run is basically over at this point. Like, when did he turn up? Did he turn up in episode two? Or... Yeah. Oh, just about. Or maybe maybe he had a little bit of a cameo well, in episode I, one. Yeah, I don't know if he had anything in episode one. Maybe. Mm. Well, I guess that was the one where Cassian killed somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So, probably he was in there. He was in there. Uh, yeah, because remember, that's when... Uh, his boss tells him, hey, I'm going to the meeting. Don't do oh, yeah. anything stupid yeah. while I'm here, while I'm gone. So you may get your wish. Like, if IMDb is accurate, and sometimes it's not. So, you know, grain of salt. But we, his story may have run its course, and it may be done. And so would that, for you, give that little turn that we've gotten with him over the last couple of episodes of him, you know, licking his wounds... Would that make that worse or better in a way? Well, because... he do, and he doesn't seem to be licking his wounds. He seems to be like you know, just stewing and getting more and more ticked. You know, at the end of episode five, he was looking at Cassian's you know hollow picture again, with a look like I'm I'm gonna hunt you down like a dog. Um, so there was an interest. There was an interesting video somebody pointed out about that op- the first time you see him in episode five where he's just looking at the window and you get the, the shot of the sun just looking into his face and it's almost like a serene and pretty moment and then the sun goes away and he's back in shadow and it makes you wonder i mean if this is the i mean because we're left with him about his mom has gone to talk to his uncle we don't know what exactly what role the uncle necessarily has yeah i mean for all we know it could be uh, Uncle Grandma talking for all we know, which kind of be funny. I don't think <laughs> so, necessarily think so, but somebody, but somebody you know. quick, somebody quick, go on uh, Wikipedia and do like a search for his first name because I think I heard something about this. But I do want to say that you know, I can't remember who. I mean, Fredo, did I? I said Cyril. Tw- I, I said tw- no. One of you guys at Oktoberfest this uh, this Saturday is that you know there is a very fine line between one person's patriot and one person's terrorist uh-huh. um and so you have you know and and the the line that i cannot stand from revenge of the sith is you know when anakin says you know from my point of view the jedi are evil but he's making a i mean he's making a point right that um and again in our in our very hyper politicized you know country right now it's like you know one side sees the other as evil and the other side sees the other side as evil you know and it's um so that so i'm I'm wondering if he's um we're not just going to see the story of the rebellion but we're going to be seeing maybe a little bit of i'm put this in air quotes justification from the point of view of the empire that these people are, you know, they're taking my job and they're, you know, they're, um, blowing up and stealing my money and they're doing this, that, you know, you know, so. And it, and it kind of goes to the Mon Mothma arc, what you're pointing out, Aaron, just as the fall of the Republic and the rise of the empire downcast a whole bunch of people, it lifted some others up. And that's the juxtaposition you're seeing in Mon Mothma's very own home, which, by the way, I pointed out 
in the notes want to talk about. This is the most information we've gotten for that character, I think, ever. I mean, possibly. Okay, maybe in Legends books and maybe some of the other books, but by and large, she's been... She had a one scene in Jedi. FYI, all you single guys, my emotional stage really isn't the greatest. She had a couple of scenes in Rogue One. The idea that she was married, that she had a kid. So it's, but it's interesting that where she's fighting to overthrow the Empire because she remembers the time from before it. Her husband, on the other hand, is looking, is big buddy buddies with all the Empire's top people and they're having fun and they're, they're laughing at dinner and, you know, he's having a blast. So the idea that some people would fight to keep that system in place much like Cyril is is thinking of, isn't surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. It's the idea he sees it as his way out from underneath his mom's thumb, underneath this place where he's ended up at. And that's kind of gives a juxtap- uh, justification, to put it that way, for his behavior, for why he was so gung-ho about taking his job in the security forces, in the mall cop, seriously. Because he's looking for a way to get out from all of that and the idea that Cassian took that away from him is some mighty powerful motivation for somebody to hold the vendetta or hold the grudge at least. By the way, I want to say I'd be grumpy too if I had to eat my cocoa puffs and blue milk. Um, <laughs> I love I'm that, a... right? It's just feeding him cereal. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> By the way, is it better with the blue milk or the green milk? Uh, it could be either. You got both. So this guy, he's fun. Didn't he? I like you talk about like, well, are we, you know, what are we still doing with him? But like, what you're saying is absolutely correct. It's like you you want to see both sides of the same coin, and you want to understand why people would not immediately flock to one side or the other because they have interest tied up with a particular side, or or maybe they're somewhere in the middle and they're looking out for number one, like Cassian sort of is still at this point. Um, I. I I think there's a, at least a good chance that he may show up again, um, uh, season two, perhaps, and uh, at a, turn up at an inopportune time. And uh, how many episodes kind of, in this season again? Twelve. Twelve. Fourteen. Twelve or fourteen? I think it's twelve, but I could be wrong. We can check on that. We can double. So check yeah, that. that would be that would make sense to bring him back as kind of a baddie in season two because they got to get hustling on they're correct it's well they got to get hustling on taking us somewhere i mean and again i don't um you know next week presumably we're going to be you know busting into the bank um and you know the story's going to move along but um so it would make sense to just, okay, we've given you enough of him. We'll remind you a little bit about him, you know, and bring him back second season. That would make sense. Yeah. But I, Mon Mothma, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to agree with you there. I, I didn't want to lose sight of Mon Mothma here because, like, for me, this is one of the more interesting bits of the most recent episode. Well, the last two episodes, you don't really see in Star Wars, you typically don't see a marriage under this well level and it's stress and pressure and two people who seem to hate each other well and it makes it it, it makes sense because well and you know um you know cassian says about says it in one of the episodes you know they live just so fat and you know they don't care they don't see you 
that's Mon Mothma's husband. You know, it's the the wealthy, um, entitled, you know, well-to-do. That they're okay with the government doing what they're doing because you know he got money. He can go do what he wants. He he can never he never remembers the driver's name. I mean, this guy's the guy that you know just can't stand in the entire series so far. Um, and then and once again, a good contrast with Cyril. Yeah. Because Cyril is not powerful and not wealthy, and so you get to see this contrast here too. And so you know. Um, you know, Britt Brit and I have had the conversations like, can you, I, I don't, I've never understood how like a James Carville and Marley Ma- and Mary Matlin um, make a marriage work like that when you are on <laughs> such polar opposites of, you know, yeah, it's a political spectrum, but it's at one point, at some point it becomes a belief spectrum. You know what I mean? It's like, and I'm not saying that you have to agree lockstep with your spouse, you know, but if we're that far apart, it would make, you know, living stressful. And Mon Mothma is realizing that her husband is, like I said, and, and daughter, they're both just entitled bratty, you know, social climbing. We don't know. That, um, that's the first I, impression. But yeah. from my point of view, the Jedi are evil daughter says it's always about you isn't it it's always about you mom it's always about you um it's not very hard to believe that a that a future leader of the rebellion would be pulled in about 50 different directions and would be passionate about following those directions and would have hard a very difficult time making time for her family um so then the daughter's critique probably has some validity i think it was really interesting though my daughter's watching this series with us um and i've heard that a lot of kids have tapped out on this they're not into it um our two younger kids are not watching it um but olivia's still watching it and i I asked her about it and um she's like yeah i'm still liking it and i said it's pretty an adult show isn't it and she said yeah um but her big question was are they being unfair to her when they gang up on her at the breakfast table? And when they gang I up said, on Mon Mothma? When, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you yet. Um, but I think there's sort of probably some truth in what they're trying to convey to her that they don't feel that she's present enough. Now I would, I would agree with you from the daughter's perspective. You may have won me over on that one. But every other interaction that we've had with the husband is that he's just kind of an entitled word that you want to McClunky out. Um, but but so, just right quick, this, yeah. just to kind of jump on that for a moment, because here's what we know, or at least here's what we've seen. They're not a presence in her life once she is with the Alliance. So well, while I'm not necessarily... So we, yeah, if, it, whether, how we know, you know, but yeah, you're right. But my, but my point being, you know, we, in this episode, we get the, okay, it's going to kill me. The, the character, the, that confronts, um, Cassian from, uh, uh, from the group that, you know, that later on tells him oh. about his brother who got killed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, right? Dan, that's right. Thank you. I apologize. Uh, but there's more than one way to lose a loved one. 
they could very well, well be that there comes a point where Mon Mothma has to choose between her convictions and the people she loves. Well, and, and that's doing something, you know, causes them to go, no, you're going that way and you never ever want to see. So again, we don't know that we're gonna we're hopefully yeah. gonna get some answers about that some way. But it's that idea of doing this, being fighting this fight, being in the alliance, being in the rebellion, is gonna cost these people. For some it's gonna cost them their lives, for some it's gonna cost them loved ones, and it could be physically like like literally or it could be emotionally well and i I do want to remind everybody and tell everybody to go do the summer reading a little bit because there is an episode of rebels i think it's called secret cargo or special cargo one of the two and that's when the ghost crew has to hustle mon mothma basically she is in exile at that point and they're getting her the empire is coming after her and they're getting her out of there so that she can be full-time rebel alliance leader so i wonder if we're going to start seeing you know some crossover there um because you're right she's the only one on the ghost ship at that point so did she just pack up and leave husband and kid behind or what happens so or or did she engineer in such the the reaction of the reality in such a way that she could leave them behind knowing that they would never suffer for it in terms of meaning the empire wouldn't come after them wouldn't see them as a threat they'd be like no that's ferrix and he's he's our guy and look at the way that the daughter's reacting no way she was ever in on it so leave him be clearly it was all mon mothma and they may be because she's she's smart so she may have done something in such a way in which her departure will never hurt them you know even if even if they would never want to talk to her again it's interesting because in we, we in Return of the Jedi, you you get a sense of her humanity um, when she mentions you know many Bothans died, you know, and the way that that is, and it's not the same actress, I get it, but the way that character presents that um, that she's you know she's got I mean she's she's got a bleeding heart right. And when, again, she's, she was upset with her husband because he invited these people to a dinner party that she said they just cut off trade routes for, you know, all these people and they're going to starve. You know, it's like, and you bring them to our house, you know, it's, she's not, you know, she, you know, she's not concerned with um, the materialistic things. She's concerned with the way the empire's, you know, treating people. So, um so no I, way, I, I like it that this this show is showing more of that humanity and more of that, you know, even in her interaction with Luthen in the shop, she's not a hundred percent confident in things. This is all you can tell very stressful by the seat of your pants, you know. Yeah, there's there is no uh, safety net beneath her feet. Now I was gonna say. That little line, somebody, you know, I saw a video where somebody revealed or reminded everybody that planet or that system that they're talking about, they cut off trade routes. In a future video game, one of the uh, video games from the 90s, they referenced that place as a place that uh, Grand Moff Tarkin actually had to go in and, you know, suppress a an insurrection and protest. And basically, they just killed everybody. So that, you know, Mon Mothman's husband's, you know, well, his buddy's actions do have 
far-reaching implications, costing the lives of thousands. But yeah, let's uh, have for dinner. Well, you also, um, it, it, you just reminded me too, like we were talking about Easter eggs and like how there's not a lot here other than that like antiquities shop. Um, but like the planet name drops are mm-hmm. like some of the bigger Easter eggs that we've got. Where I we've think gotten they... Scarif, we've gotten um, Hosnian drop... Prime. Hosnian Prime has gotten a lot of play, and it's a major system, right, at this stage of things, so that makes sense. Jakku, mm-hmm. uh, they've name-dropped that one. Um, so that's been fun. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, for the most part, it's been like, sorry, geeks, you're... you're uh, we're giving you something completely new here, which, like, for me is like, yeah, you're not making me mad when you're doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm not so secretly really enjoying this. Yeah, and I think, and I think, you know, particularly, and this is one of those things that you know, where you start thinking about the number of different Star Wars shows and Disney Plus or properties in general. That's what sets this one apart from The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett. The, those were more action adventure oriented. This is a different tone, way more dramatic, way more serious. Which I could see where some people may say, kind of like Dave's youngest kids, go like, "Not a bag, we're out. We're, we're here for the laser swords and the and the pew pews and the ships, and that's our jam. And that's fine. But I love the fact that we're gonna get a different kind of Star Wars with this one, and." Hopefully, when Ahsoka comes around, it'll be a different kind of well, okay. Star Wars property. So Dave mentioned it you know, at the at the outset. Um, you know, we're talking about this might be the most adult Star Wars, and why is that? Um, and I think to your point, Fredo, I think that answered what Dave was looking for: is that this this Star Wars is story driven and not Character. not archetype driven. This isn't the hero's journey. This isn't, you know, I said that, you know, a couple episodes ago. This isn't, um, it's very much, like I said, it's just, it's very much story driven. Um, And it's, and like I said, all of the, they're trying to get across the point, like I said, of oppression, of being against the odds, of being, you know, hopeless. You know, and again, everything goes into that, up even to the point of a TIE fighter literally flying two inches above your head, you know, and they're, so they're doing all these things creatively within the show. I think it's awesome to give you that feeling of foreboding, you know, like this, this ain't going to work. Um, but I mean, but I think there, that's what makes it a little bit more adult, Dave, is that it, like I said, it's, we're telling a story. We're not rehashing a story. I mean, to your point about the TIE fighter, this a singular TIE fighter is presented as a threat above anything that they can handle. Like that's where we're at at this at this stage of things, and I think that's just marvelous. I mean, like if you and me and 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 us three and we got a couple of other people together and we we're like we're going to take on the U.S. government, you know, and we're going to cosplay military. Um, we would see a no chance against if you know, somebody flies an F-16 right over our heads. Yeah. Yep. We'd have no chance. Right. And I like that they're addressing that head on because that is a real world thing that we're dealing with right now with insurrectionists right. on January 6th and all of that nonsense. Um, and so like, let's face that head on. I love that. Um, 
But another thing that like has occurred to me in watching this that I think gives it a little more gravitas and a little more um, realism is that you don't have these bigger than life characters at the center of the story. And I think Aaron, you kind of alluded to that, which is just like you don't have like this with Darth superpowers Vader. with superpowers. Yeah. yeah, they have superpowers and they're flipping around and they're throwing laser swords at one another. Um, somebody made the example on on Twitter, and I loved it. Which is just like, can you imagine like the series that we've been watching, just inserting Darth Maul into the middle of it right now? Like what? Like, no, like the tone would be destroyed. Like yes. it wouldn't work in any way, shape or form. And I think like that belies the silliness of Star Wars or some of the, you know, again, these archetypes, these over overly drawn out, like hugely mythic figures that like have no real basis in reality. They're meant to be, you know, you can take lessons from them and, and they serve their purpose. But again, Nobody's going to say, well, I really relate to Darth Maul. Um, you know, it's this is these are people you can relate to. These are people that are ground level. Um, and I, I think like it's really interesting to me that it, it isn't just like Vader or the Emperor or even the like super heavy hitters. We're not even getting like the B squad. You're not even seeing stormtroopers. You're getting the DMV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not even seeing stormtroopers at this stage of things because like they're unnecessary they don't need them mm -hmm. and so like that like adds to the realism as well it's like they're there's there's well a they're so overwhelmed but then b like you don't have these these people marching around in these white you know flash gordon looking uh uniforms you know it's but we're gonna we're gonna get there not just because we've seen um the uh you know the footage in the trailers of of stormtroopers and stuff like that but you know what happened on um whatever planet it was that cyril you know like i said was the mall cop on he said oh, you know Eric. he said um you know congratulations said now you know th this is fully run by the empire and so they've now got a militaristic presence in their, you know, okay, now this hotel is our, you know, office. And, and I watched a, a YouTube clip and it was, it was interesting. They were talking about their, you know, they're not even concerned about, they're, they're concerned, the empire is concerned about titles. You know, said, so can I make, can you make me a prefect? You know, because I know there's not much money in it, but I'd really like to be, you know, can I be in charge? You know? Um, but you know, the empire it's, that's what it is. It's like, as long as the systems are in line, everything's good. But the minute you, you know, raise a fuss, all right, it would, it would be a pity if I had to leave a garrison of troopers here, you know, um, it's Bespin, right? You know, Lando is minding his own business until he starts lipping off. And then, you know, Vader threatens to leave a garrison there. Um, so that's what we're also seeing in this show. So, and to Dave's points, I don't know if either one of you read uh, there was a comic book series called Marvels, which uh, came out back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Beautifully drawn by Alex Ross, but the whole idea was there was this one character who's a photographer, 
living through the birth of the Marvel comic book universe. So the first appearance of the Fantastic Four and Galactus showing up and Spider-Man and the X-Men. And the whole idea behind it was, what would it feel like to be a regular person living in that universe when all these fantastical characters came out of life? And I get a sense similar in nature in that to Andor, where the idea of Darth Maul or Darth Vader popping out of the nowhere in this into this story right now would feel overwhelming because these are not threats to a character of that power level. They're no they're no threat to, you know, yeah, it'd be like even the Globe the, Trotters or Batman being in a Scooby Doo. Just when, yeah, yeah. even even one of the Inquisitors turning up in here. He's like, oh, he is in video game parlance, OP, overpowering. So it makes no sense to put them up against that kind of level right now, threat right now, because they're not, they're not worth it of it. Uh, right, right now, they are in the at the mole cop level. They're let's, they're let's, level one. So let, let's have a little fun here. Let's have a little fun, just because it was. Britt sent me a thing. Um, it was a uh, little cartoon. Have you ever seen the brain? you know talking to the person who's trying to sleep and there's uh, anyway it was um you know the brain saying you know there's no uh there's no canon um description of jar jar's death so he could show up in mandalorian season three and the person's now wide awake you know wouldn't it be cool and i don't think and this this might this might, you know, be a little, be one of those things that takes you out of it, but wouldn't it be kind of funny if one of the people in the spy network that we just get like two minutes of Cassian meet, has to meet up with somebody to get a thing, you know, to take to the place and the spy that he's meeting up with is Jar Jar Binks. Oh God. <laughs> But don't, but don't play Jar Jar Binks. Don't, don't let, don't let, you know, don't have Ahmed do the whole, you know, but it, it's, it's more of a grown up Jar Jar. It's, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, but wouldn't that be a way to kind of maybe save that character? Save, I'm not sure, because I don't necessarily think about it in those terms. I think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be a wonderful little moment. Uh, I think, uh, It'd be great to see, find out then, some of what then, happened to Jar Jar, and have him die in up. battle, so then people can just shut up about it. But anyway, no, I just, I no, just thought but... I just thought about that. It would be kind of be, it would be kind of fun. Anyway, um, there was hasn't I just wanted to chuck that little bit of humor in there. Um, but speaking of humor, do you think we're going to ever get any bit of the most we've got is a dog peeing on the robot, um, and that was right up front. That was at the that was in the very first scene. Are we? Do you think we're going to get any sort of comic relief? Do we need any sort of again, not not gags, not stepping in bantha poo, um, or you know anything? But do you think there's going to be any levity coming at all? Whenever K two S O turns up, doesn't sound so bad to me. <laughs> that's that's going to be your levity or, or source of levity, and I and I imagine it's kind of interesting because. While it's never been said that he's coming or that he's, we're going to get him, I imagine at some point they're going to do that between now and season two. Because at some point, this tone has to shift somewhat so that it aligns with Rogue One. Well, And Rogue but... One works well because K2SO is there to deliver 
a few bits of qu- uh, quippy dialogue. But do, would any sort of levity take away from the seriousness of what they're dealing with right now? I mean, you can have little light moments where somebody flashes a smile or, you know, there's a connection like there was, you know, Cassian with the, the guy, uh, they... They had a moment where it was like they came to an understanding and it was it was a feel good moment. It wasn't levity, but it was you could there was a, a relief. You know, it, there was a relief there. Um, but if you had something like that, would it take away from the seriousness that we're trying to convey here that, you know, it's it's miserable? Uh, go ahead, Dave. I, I was just going to say probably not and that I trust what they're doing um i trust that they would probably make the correct choice again we're halfway through we're almost halfway through the season and we've only gotten a dog peeing on a robot but i'm just i'm I'm, I'm with you i'm with you too but it doesn't it doesn't seem like if i had to put money down i don't know if it's coming this season you know again like it may be as as simple as a quip or a pun that that comes in the during a tense moment um or you know two characters shrugging at one another when you know up you know they they have a near miss or you know like little moments like that um i'm certainly not ruling any of that out and as you said there are ways to relieve the tension we saw that with uh with cassian and with uh den um at the end of the episode where they were able to just sort of like okay we've talked to each other we we've expressed where we are at as individuals and, and and we're at a common ground now and we can move forward i think in some ways you're not going to get it right now if you're going to get it at all i think you're going to get it more towards the end of the season just because it's it's almost like it's got to be earned Right now, there's no reason for them to be uh, quippy or to be, to make jokes, to be lighthearted, because, again, they're feeling the oppression of the Empire. They're and they're going into a suicide it. mission tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. So that has, you know, there's no way, uh, there's no reason for them to feel like they're going to come out of it unscathed. I think at some point, as the winds kind of begin piling up and we start progressing forward with the characters and the story, and they get more... A sense that they can't really fight against the empire that may come into the dynamic so i wouldn't necessarily say that has never happened i just don't think right now is the moment for it i think maybe towards the end of season one or maybe in season two is when we're really going to get that aspect just because it's necessary you do need that break in levity because it you know it's almost like it's going to act like a turning of how we feel about the show or how of the feeling that the show's bestowing upon us where that oppression that we've spoken about at the start it's going to start to lift because you're seeing them fighting against the empire and winning against the empire. And every victory is just going to feel like that weight of oppression gets lighter and lighter. And that's when humor comes into the equation. I mean, like, again, it, I trust them. Mm-hmm. I, like the short answer is I trust them. That'll be fine when it, when we see it. Um, and like, they've, don't... they've earned that trust with, with these first five episodes. If anybody hasn't watched these, I mean, it is, they've, They've earned that trust in these five episodes. Sorry to step on you, Dave, but you're, you're yeah, right. I, agree with I mean, I, I, I think like at the end of the day, they're going to make the correct choice with that. And like we're evaluating midstream and we're saying there's no humor in this series. In like, I'm, I, I'm not saying critically. I, was, I wasn't being yeah, critical yeah. of it. It's just no, no, an no, observation but... that there is. I mean, usually 
by you know somewhere you've got you know something but it's a hundred percent true right now and it's part of the reason the kids are not like interested in it because there's just like no humor there's none salacious Um, crumbs not watching his brother being cooked yeah um but five episodes from now we may have a completely different story because like again we're we're at the midpoint we don't know and again i'm I'm willing to go along for the ride and see what happens just just compare it to the first episode of the first season of mandalorian how funny it was when ig11 kept going nope we're trapped i'm setting myself my self-destruct off and din was like no don't do that yeah it's like it's in the middle of all the action, in the middle of all this drama. You had this moment that is everyone was just busting out laughing because it was silly to think about, but it worked. It worked so well. Meanwhile, this show has not given us a single moment like that. You know that just causes that natural tension release uh, laughter, and that's by design. And that's where I agree with Dave. Is we got to trust them because these are choices that they're making. It tells you that they understand their story. It tells you they understand their characters. It tells you they know where they're going. So if there is no humor right now, it's by design. Uh, my, I guess one last thing that I've found, have found interesting, um, because growing up, I think we all grew up with the, um, and it was probably written in a book somewhere or something like that, that the empire empire was pretty much just a bunch of white guys. Um, and the empire is quite diverse in this show which i which i find interesting um and they're not just like and it's not like the um only only the white males are in positions of power i mean deidre is she has a seat at the table of isb she's not in charge of it um but um, I, I find I find that interesting because um, they they could very well have just kept going with that. Um, I don't know. It's, and again, I don't know what I'm trying to say with it, but it's just something that has stuck out to me because, you know, it's always growing up. It was like the you know the rebellion was about diversity and inclusiveness and and everybody and the empire was you know white British guys right. And that has kind of knocked me off my rocker a little bit um, in this show. I, I think where I fall on this uh, is that I, uh, I think inclusivity is more important than the storytelling um, benefit of it being a bunch of white dudes. Um, and, and again, like it's kind of an interesting case because it's like the bad guys. Uh, and the bad guys are the white dudes, and that's that's been the case for a long time. Um, but like, I don't think the real world looks like that. Yeah, sure, white dudes have done a lot of damage. Uh, Correct. <laughs> but um, Herschel Walker. You know, well, <laughs> uh, villains come in all sizes, shapes, forms. Um, and uh, I think like it's just because you're giving really talented actors but did I, did I, work. It's 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 a good thing. But did I dream that, or did you guys think that? Have you did you grow up thinking or knowing the same thing that like the or hearing the same thing that the Empire was, you know, basically uh, against a, diversity. There was one. It was one of those things that growing up I think was 
surreptitiously told and then kind of everybody just kind of picked up on it as they grew up with the story just the idea of you know even from a line as simple as bounty hunters we don't need their scum and then you look at the bounty hunters he's looking at and they're diverse versus all the officers in all the star destroyed bridges and all the uh the death star tables all old crusty old white dudes no speaking british accents so obviously there was a real world reason why that is but i think it also juxtaposed the idea of that the empire wants uniformity they don't care who you are where you came from they want everything to look the same to act the same to be the same and that represents itself whether it's through the stormtroopers or whether it's through their officer corps and the idea that the rebels look kind of like a, a West Coast hippie uh, uh, Coachella uh, <laughs> audience, but doesn't you know, it seem like a fit? But doesn't by doing this and you know by having in this show the Empire being just as diverse, portrayed just as diverse as the rebels, um, doesn't that lend credence to that what we were talking about at the beginning, where it's like from my perspective the Jedi are evil, you know, type of a mm-hmm. thing, because all things being equal, you know, we've got, we got similar players on both sides, but it's your perception and your seat at the table. Who's the ax and who's the tree, you know? Right. And, um, and as one, one person, I say, you're the ax, but maybe you say I'm the ax. I, I, I don't, I think this, I'm just wondering, I, I, I'm just really digging this story because I don't know where it's going to go. And I think that's one of those points that, uh, that the show's trying to show. Again, by nature of it not being about the superhero characters, about not being the Jedi, the Sith, the, the, the people with the, you know, preordained destinies and uh, sacred bloodlines, you know, by the fact that it's about the rank and file, the grunts, mm. you're able to drill deeper into the elements of the story where, yeah, it kind of proves a lot harder to tell who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, who's the hero and who's the villain. And again, we're saying all this before we get one moment with Saul Guerrero, who we know blurs those lines even more so. Yeah. So that's, I think, another conscious decision they're making. Not just diversity for the sake of diversity. They're trying to explain and show to us that, yeah, people who are oppressed can be oppressors. People who have good intentions can do evil. And people who've made mistakes can overcome them and become heroes. So it's a complex dynamic there. It's not, it's not as uh, cut and dry as the Empire bad and the, the rebels are good and therefore yeah. you know, it's far more... You know, once you get past the top level, you know, deeper layers, it becomes a jumbled mess. Final thoughts, Dave? Oh, just, uh, it's, I really enjoy it. And I know that we're broken records right now because we tend to enjoy everything that we watch. Uh, Star Wars, maybe recently, Boba Fett was uh, a little bit of an exception, but we even still mostly liked that. Um, I don't have anything that I can really complain about with this show. I know. I mean, there's things right? I find interesting that I have questions about. I'm sorry, but it, it's you know to, to what you're saying. We're we sound like broken record, but this is one of those things where it's like, I don't. There's nothing that's made me go, Ugh, you know, like what? Wait till Frog Lady turns up next episode. Riding a yes. vest, riding a Vespa. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, Fredo, we were just, I was just talking about Frog Lady with, uh, with Liv. We were, she's like, that was really, when I look back on it, that was really the most, the scariest Star Wars or most intense Star Wars I've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, it was. That was a horror episode right there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Frog Lady episode. I still maintain that was, uh, that was chef's kiss. But uh, this is great. It's good. Um, if, if you're listening to this and you somehow haven't watched it and you hear us like going on and on about it, um, give it a try. You know, it's if you if if you sometimes feel a little unfulfilled with Star Wars, well, and if you this, sometimes feel like things are a little. This might be a gateway focus. That's it. That's it. This might be the gateway for some of those people who are like, Star Wars looks like a bunch of hokey robots and blah, 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 you know, to watch this. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a war movie, you know? Um, and I wonder if that would get people, if that would be their gateway into the Star Wars universe that have seen it. Like you just said, it's too kid focused that this isn't kid focused you know yeah and i would i would also just say like it it reminds me in spirit um very much of uh the books in the eu and just it, it kind of had more of a i'm going to tickle your brain kind of an approach to things where it's like you're not necessarily just viscerally trying to stimulate us you're actually trying to stimulate our minds as well yeah, just finally, I think that the, the comparison in my mind that I keep going back to, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, is this old Richard Burton, Leah Clint Eastwood movie called Where Eagles Dare, mm. which is about, it's an old World War II movie where they're playing like spies who are, you know, trying to infiltrate the eagle's nest and, you know, make away with some plans and whatnot. So it gets very convoluted because obviously there's double crossings and double dealings, but, uh, that's kind of the sense that I'm getting of this story. It's not as easy to figure out where things are going to go because you're not necessarily playing with all the information at hand. Whereas, say, with something like uh, Mandalorian or Boba Fett or Rebels or Clone Wars, you had a better understanding of the dynamics that play within each character. This one's by its nature. Everybody's playing their cards closer to the vest or to the chest. And... Um, they're recognizing that they, you know, this this is a survival instinct for a lot of people. So, so it's interesting, and I'm I'm digging it. I'm enjoying it. So let us know what you're what you're thinking about Andor so far. Um, if we've if we're missing anything here, um, like I said, I do recommend um, maybe diving into a little bit of the later seasons of Rebels. Um, give Rogue One another watch. Um, but also, like I said, check out some of the some of the YouTube channels that are diving deep into. I don't have the time to dig for Easter eggs. Sorry, kids, I just don't have the time. Some of these people who monetize their channels, they do. Um, so, uh, but there are some, and it's just like wow, they they are starting to. The the EU people have to be like over the moon over some of these things. Um, but like I said, check out like I said, Star Wars Explained. Some of those things, it's they're really good channels. Um, but uh, until so next next week we'll be back with a little bit more Andor talk and see what's what's going on there. Um, and until then we'll say who dat, who dat. Yeah.
All right. Well, everybody, you have a great week, and we will see you next week with some more Star Wars. Makanki.